want to say welcome to all of you that are here, for those who are listening online as well. I'm glad that you're tuning in. If you're kind of new to Kingsway, uh, maybe it's your first time. Um, I'm Mark, and I'm just uh, ha- happy to have the chance to share uh, his word with you. But I think as Chris prayed and as, as uh, Rhonda mentioned, it's, it's to look beyond and to trust that it's Holy Spirit that speaks uh, to your heart. He's the only one who has the words of life. We, um, we're just, you know, regular human beings. And so uh, my challenge for you is to even just look beyond the, the, the words that you hear this morning from my lips to the words that his spirit is speaking to your heart. Those are the ones that uh, can <laughs> amazingly... Uh, affect and change our lives. So uh, we're going to jump right in this morning. Last week, we talked about just being more aware of his presence and uh, that that his presence was here before you got here because he's everywhere. But that we would take uh, a moment to intentionally say, okay, God, if you're everywhere, then I'm opening my heart to you um, uh, uh, more today. So my question is, how'd that go this week? How uh, how many of you were more aware of his presence uh, all week? Some were like, eh, a few. How many are more aware of his presence just for a day? You're just, that was in your thought. Maybe it was just for last Sunday, and then by Monday it was like, gone. Um, sometimes I got to raise my hand for some of those too. There's the times where I realize, uh, you know, becoming aware of his presence that, oh, there was a good space of time where, where I just wasn't. And so again, something we can continually, continually grow in, just being aware that God's here this, mo- this morning. It, that's not like some super spiritual thing that we're creating to happen. He's here. He's here. He knows you're here. He knows how you hear and uh, I believe wants to speak to every person. So this, um, this morning, I just want to take a quick look back. We, we ended up kind of, this has kind of become a series that was never planned to be a series, but we had talked a number of weeks ago about steps that Jesus called um, people to, uh, to take in their journey of faith. And some of the steps we had just put up there, I just meant for this to be a, just a kind of a one-off slide to help um, explain some things. And yet we keep going back to it. But um, some of the steps that Jesus called people to and if you can bring this back up as, uh, as we con- continue on this morning, um, there's, there's some steps. He'd call to people, come follow me. And then once they'd followed him for a while, he said, listen, if you, if you believe who I am, put your trust in me. And then, you know, once you've put your trust in me, would you identify your whole life with me? And, and once you've done that, would you walk with me? And the steps are, 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 are um, further and further um, along that path as you walk with him. He leads your life individually because that's what it was meant to be. So, you know, as we started, studied um, a journey with Jesus at the beginning of the year, we said, what would it be like if we could just picture what it was like to be by Jesus when he was preaching on the Jordan River? Would we have been there? Would we, have, would we have gone back the next day? What would we have heard and what would we have experienced? Uh, and, you know, maybe with like Peter walking on water, would we have been like, yep, I would have been there too. It would have been Peter and Mark is how it would have been written after that. Those two fellas jumped out of the boat. Which, which one would you be? You know, what would we actually do? And that's really the question for today. What steps are we actually taking in our lives when it comes to these, these steps? What steps are you actually taking? Because that's what it means to be a, a disciple or a follower of Jesus. And so I'd like for you just as, that, as, that, as the slide keeps coming up to just kind of picture yourself, which, which, which spot am I at? Which ones have I actually taken um, as, a, as a Jesus follower, as a, as a Christian? So we're going to look through that a bit this morning. I'm just starting with step one, um, follow, you know, the followers uh, they were the curious crowd, and, and Jesus had this crowd always around him. And the reason we know is because the eyewitnesses who were there, they wrote it down and told us, not just one, but we want to look at one this morning. Uh, his name was John. John was there. Uh, later on in life, he wrote, this is what it was like when we follow Jesus around. John chapter 6, if you have your Bible, you can open it to there. 
It's close to the middle and then a little further. John chapter 6, verse 1 says this, After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, which is also known as the Sea of Tiberias. It's a real place. And it says this, A huge crowd, huge crowd kept what? Following him. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went. Why? Because they saw the miraculous signs as he healed the sick. They're like, whoa, this guy heals sick people. This stuff's incredible. Let's follow him. And this crowd got bigger and bigger and would continue to follow him wherever, wherever he went. Uh, And Jesus, you know, for them, maybe they're like, maybe he's going to do something cool. But Jesus did not disappoint. Uh, In this particular story um, or this particular account, John tells us that as they follow Jesus, he, uh, he actually did the opposite of what happens today. You know, you go to your work and everyone brings lunch and one guy forgets. And they're like, oh, man, sorry, buddy, forgot your lunch. We'll, we'll hook you up. Can't get to Tim Hortons. All right, well, here, you can have my apple, and you can have my juice box, and what, whatever you have at work. I don't know. But, you know, it's like they, they make sure that one person's taken care of. Well, this is the opposite. Here, 5,000 people show up without lunch, and one kid brings lunch. And Jesus is like, they're all like, what are we going to eat? And Jesus says, you know, find all the food. And like, well, we got one kid's lunch. He's like, that's enough for me. And he feeds 5,000 people. And they eat so much, they're full, and there's leftovers, and it's just this incredible, incredible thing. And then Jesus says to the fellows, all right, we fed them, let's get out of here. They hop in the boat, they start sailing across, and and the the fellows head head across, and there's a massive storm, and then they see Jesus walking on the water to them in this massive storm, and they're like, that's incredible, just incredible. And many of them wrote about it, and as they got to the other side, um, the next day, the, the people who were this whole crowd who was on the other side, they're like, they wake up in the morning, you know, and they're like, where, where did Jesus go? And they look across the lake and on the other side of the lake, they see boats and they're like, maybe he went there. So they, this whole crowd goes around the whole lake to find Jesus. And they get there and they're like, they, they come up to him and like, start the small talk. Hey, Jesus, uh, when did you get here? And Jesus responds to them by saying, you know, he says, I know why you guys are here. He says, you just followed me because you hope I'm going to feed you again today. And they're kind of like, uh, well, yeah, sort of. Like, do you have any breakfast available? And here's what Jesus says to them. He tells them in verse 26 and verse 27, he's like, I know why you guys came. You came for food, but what you should have came for, you should have came seeking eternal life rather than um, just food. Because he says, because I can give you that too. And they're like, well, can we talk about that after breakfast? He says, you really should have come asking for that. And so finally, after they're saying, they said, okay, well, Jesus, if you're like the, because he said, I'm the bread of life. You, you know, you had bread that, that helped you for a day. I'm the bread that will help you for, for life and for life eternal. And so they asked him, well, where can we get this bread of life? And here's what he told them. Verse 35, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. I don't have it. I am. So whoever comes to me, just remember these words, whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever um, believes in me will never be thirsty. Those words come to me, those phrases and believes in me. If you just look up their, their tense of what they're written in the Greek language, they, they, what they mean is that whoever comes, whoever comes to me and keeps coming after me, whoever follows me and keeps on following Whoever follows me and keeps on following, not just like, oh, I followed you around the, you know, the pond. And uh, he says, what, what, what about tomorrow? Will you be there tomorrow? Will you follow me tomorrow? And then he says, and whoever believes in me, because it's not just, you know, follow me. Whoever believes, whoever puts their trust in me, you're actually never going to be thirsty again on the inside. And, 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 and so they, they began questioning Jesus back. And, well, how does that work? And he's like, he says, he begins having this conversation with them. And he says some things that offend them. 
And like, we just came for breakfast and now you're telling us we gotta like give the rest of our lives for this. And like, we don't think we wanna do this anymore. And John verse um, six, verse 66 after they kind of have this conversation with Jesus, it says this, at this point, many of the disciples, so many of the people who followed him for quite a while, it says they turned away and they deserted him. They stopped following him. See, as we look at the steps, curious crowd, step one, follow me. It's just step one. That's a, that's a one where you think, they think, maybe, yeah, that's kind of me. Like, I, I kind of want to know a little bit more about Jesus. But step one, people, they're the people who are like, well, I believe there's a God. Jesus said, you know, there's way more to it than just believing that there is a God. He says, I'm calling you to another step to say, put your trust in me. And so so many is like, well, yeah, I trusted the church before and that didn't go very well. You know, and I was like, I tried, I tried Christianity, but it's inconvenient to get up early on Sunday mornings. That's my one day to sleep in. I don't really know, you know, if I want to keep following and many unfollow. Our culture's full of people who, followed and unfollowed simply because of convenience. Maybe you're here this morning and that would be you. You would describe your life as, yeah, I follow Jesus as long as it's, you know, I'm okay with this church thing as long as it's going well for me. Or maybe you know people who used to sit in the seats beside you and they went through a little bit of a tough time and they've just given up on God. We get the story over and over. But not everybody has that story. And here's, here's what happened. Not everybody left. John chapter 6, verse 67 the next verse, then Jesus turned to the 12 after the whole crowd took off and said, we're done with you. He looks at his 12 fellas, his inner crowd, and he says to them, are you guys also going to leave? And here's Simon Peter's response. He says, Lord, where would we go? He says, where we, you're the one who has the words of eternal life. No one else is promising us eternal life. We're, we're sticking with you. He says in verse 69, we believe. And that, that word again is we put our trust in you. We trust in you. We we know that you're the Holy One of God. We, we know you are who you say you are. And so we're going to follow you. We don't know where that's going to lead, but we trust you. So we're going to keep following you. This kind of was a little awkward, Jesus. You just offended all the people who liked us, but we're going to stick with you because we trust you. And they did not know the full story in that moment. See, so often we know the rest of the story, and so we just go right there, but they didn't know it. In that moment, they're like, you know, this is going to be a little bit awkward. This is a little bit out of the comfort zone, but, but I trust you, Jesus, so I'm just going to keep following you. And as they followed him, they followed him simply because he was worth following, but it got worse for them before it got better. There was time for them over and over and over where they could have decided, we're, we're just not going to follow anymore. You know when those times were? When they... They, they followed their, their friend, and then all of a sudden they watched him as he was arrested. They watched him. They saw him being tried. Then they saw him going to a cross, the unthinkable. They saw him as his hands were nailed to that cross. They watched him as it was raised in the air. They saw him give up his last breath, and they just watched their friend die. They saw it. Why is it important that they saw it? Because at the end of the day, Many of them saw when they took his dead body down off that cross and put it in a tomb. And they watched as hope was, was gone as that stone was rolled in front of that tomb. And they watched and they realized it's over. It's over. And then a few days later, they see their friend, their, their master, the, the one they've been following, they see him alive on the beach. Man, that's a head-scratcher moment. They're like, is it him? I don't know if it's him. Peter's like fishing. He's like, if it's you, Jesus is like, it's me. Pete jumps out of the boat and this time he swims to shore. 
He's like, it's you, it's you, it's you. And they know, and it's what changed their lives. It's why, it's why we have Christianity to begin with is because of this event that someone rose from the dead. And so this is what happened. They saw Jesus, and before Jesus went to heaven, he gave them some commands. This is Matthew 28. He says to them, verse 19, he says, um, all authority has been given to me, so therefore go and make disciples of all the nations. Here's what I want you to do. And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then, and then he says, but just wait. He says, I'm going to go, and then I'm going to come back in the form of Holy Spirit, and then I'm going to be with you till the end of the age. I will be with you always. And so he says, go, now wait, now go. And when Peter finally had the opportunity to go, Peter did exactly what Jesus told him to do. Go into all the world and what? Preach, preach the good news. Preach the good news to everyone and baptize uh, people in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's, what, here's what, how we know. Luke wrote it down in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Peter's first sermon <laughs> in the streets of Jerusalem. People hear about this man that they also saw crucified. And he says, you're the ones who crucified him. He says, you're the ones who thought you could end it all, but God had a bigger plan. He rose him from the dead. And you know what that proves? It proves that that man is not just a man, that that man is actually the Messiah who came to give his life for our sins. Every one of us has sinned. Well, there's forgiveness and there's only one way to it. And it's through him. And as they hear those words, they're like, this is their response. Verse 37, Peter's words pierced their heart. They said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what do we do? What do we do with this? Yeah, we are in that boat of we've sinned. Yeah, we, we killed an innocent man and God proved it by raising him from the dead. What do we do with this? And Peter replied, here's what you do. Here's what they do then. Here's what we do today. He says, each of you individually, because this is not a group thing. This is about you and him. Each of you repent of your sins, turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He says, then you'll receive the gift of Holy Spirit. And, and, and says this in verse 41, those who believed, those who trusted what Peter said, they're like, yeah, we didn't see all the stuff you saw, Peter, but the, it rings of truth. And, and I believe, I, I'm, I'm putting my trust in Jesus. I want forgiveness of sins like you're talking about. And says they trusted what Peter said and they were baptized that day and they were added to the church, added to the gathering, not added to the, to the crowd, to the gathering of Jesus followers that day and there was about 3,000 of them. What an awesome day. We haven't had that yet at Kingsway. We need more portables. No. <laughs> for the gospel, Charlie, for the gospel. But that leads us to step three. These people would put their trust in Jesus. It leads to step three. And here's where I think so many Christians in our culture find themselves stuck. They, they, they do step one. Yeah, I follow. Yes, I believe. Yes, I want forgiveness. They do step two. And then step three, the thing of identify with me, that becomes a stumbling block for so many. And why is it? It's because of this word baptism. And I want to talk about that this morning. Why baptism? But I want to share it this way. I, just, I, I simply want us as a group to look at what the word says about baptism, not what our, you know, what our opinions are, not what our traditions are, but simply what the word says about baptism, because we have traditions. We have some of you, this is your tradition of baptism. You don't, you, maybe you've been, anybody baptized as a child? I was. 
number of us. You know, maybe you were saying, well, I was baptized already. I've been baptized Anglican. I was baptized Christian Reformed. I was baptized Presbyterian or whatever it may be. Can I just tell you something? That that, that idea of, you know, dunking babies that, you know, is, that, that is not a Jesus thing. That, that's not what Jesus came to do. It's not what he said. It's actually what the Catholic Church decided a few years later. A number of years later, they looked at saying, you know, everybody, if you're not baptized, you're going to go to hell. And they're like, "Uh uh-oh, we better baptize babies because we don't want our babies to go to hell. So as soon as they're born, let's put them in water. Let's do something. I remember, I don't remember my baptism. I know the pictures. They put me in a white dress, sprinkled water on my head. I'm like, cruel and unusual punishment. You, we don't remember, right? It's like when Jesus says to them, I want you to baptize people who believe. The people who trust in me, I want you to baptize them. As children, you didn't, you didn't have any choice. You didn't trust anything. You trusted your parents and they did that to you. There was no... Uh-huh. I know, we could leave that up there all day. But can, can, you know, if you've been baptized as a child and you wonder, should, should I, do, do I need to be baptized as an adult? Let me just ask you this way. If, if as a parent, if I ask my children and say, hey, kids, I want you guys to do the dishes. And I come back later and they're, I look and I'm like, did you guys do the dishes? And like, we put the dishes in the sink, dad. I'm like, yeah, but that's great. But that's not what I asked you to do. Well, it's kind of like doing the dishes. Well, not, it kind of. Or the other day when, did you guys do the dishes? We licked them so clean, dad. You can just stick them right back in the shelf. <laughs> I'm like, that's not even great. And it's not what I asked you to do, right? That is, that, that's sort of like cleaning, but that's not what I asked you to do. That is not, that is not what the intention was. And that's sometimes, so often what our tradition does is it actually does something opposite or, or it's good, but it's not what Jesus asked us to do. And then there's our opinions, you know, for some to think, well, well, do I have to do that? Because Like I did profession of faith, so that should count. You know, or I took church membership classes, so I think that should count. Or like I attend church pretty regularly, I think that should count. It would be the same thing as if you, you know, you're getting married and you tell your wife on your wedding day, hon, you know, I don't think we need to have a wedding because I've been to one once. (laughs) We don't need to go through this whole ceremony. I've seen one. That's not the same. You know, if you're like, you go to get your driver's license, you get there and you're ready to take the test. You're like, you know, I don't want to take this test. I think you should give me my license because I did a math test in grade one. They're going to look at you and say, no, no, that does not count. You need to do this. And we have this thing with this thing about baptism and we're like, you know, we wonder. So let's just take a look at what the word says about it and just leave you to wrestle with those thoughts this morning. The first disciples actually, you know, if we look at them, they actually followed what Jesus commanded and they they baptized other disciples. People, it says they baptized disciples. Disciples we know are people who who believed in Jesus, put their faith in Jesus and were baptized as a result. But we don't know why they did that until later on when Paul explains it to us. And I I love that we're studying Romans verse by verse this year because it's the first time that I, I, I really... I would say how to have the clearest understanding of what this whole thing was about and why. Um, Paul writes Romans to give a detailed uh, explanation of what the gospel is, what the good news is. And the first few chapters are not good at all. He basically starts off by saying, every single person is born in sin, thanks to this guy named Adam. You, you're not good on the inside. You might try to be good, but you just know if you're, if you're not trying real hard to be good, and even when you are, there's just this evil in, in you. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah. And the Jews are like, yeah, but we have the law, we're good. And he's like, yeah, but actually you guys don't even keep the law that, you, that is supposed to save you. And like, yeah, yeah, you're right. We're, we're, we're not good. Okay, fine, fine. We're not good. That's, that's fine. Well, that, and he's like, yeah, but that, that's not where it stops. He's like, that sin has a, has a price tag and it's called death and it's eternal separation from God. And, and they're like, oh, okay, okay. You know, that's, I thought this was going to be good news. When does it get good? 
And he begins to talk about how Abraham just simply trusted God and that's what it was all about. Uh, and that, this amazing grace comes in in chapter 5. And in chapter 6, as Paul starts this off by saying, he says there's such amazing grace is, is what God has done. It's not what we do, it's what he's done. And he says this, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall we keep sinning because God forgives us? He's like, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And he uses this word death. I'm like, why? I don't know about this. I don't feel like I've died. Have I died? And we look around like, no, I'm alive. You know, what do you mean? Like died to sin and live no longer in it. He says to them in verse three, or do you not know? Or don't you know? And maybe you're here this morning and you just don't know. And I hope that this morning would be just a, a, a teaching, a lesson for you to, um, to just understand for the first time. But it's also translated sometimes, or have you forgotten? To, you know, Jesus' followers is who he's writing to. Do you not know or have you forgotten this? He says, do you, have, do you not know that as many as who were baptized into Christ Jesus? Paul, when he says, don't you know that those who are baptized into Christ Jesus? And we think about, you know, water baptism. That's not what he's actually talking about right now. He's actually talking about something different. He uses this word baptizo, which means um, it's a Greek word uh, that, that simply means to dip in repeatedly or to immerse something or submerge. It's, they say it's like a ship being sunk. And Paul borrowed this word from this other Greek guy whose name was Nicanor. Nicanor was a pickle maker. <laughs> Fascinating, isn't it? It's true. He uh, not quite canned pickles like this, but he wrote recipes on how to make pickles. And here's what he said. He would say, you take the cucumbers and you baptizo them in a vinegar solution and you leave them there. And he says, you leave them there until something changes. And what happens is when the cucumbers come out later, they are not the same as they were when they went in. And for those of you who are going ahead thinking, what, they're going to baptize and hold me down until everything's fixed. And I, No, it's not like that. But that's what it is like when he says you're baptized into Christ. He says, you're immersed in Christ. He says, what happens is there's a permanent change that happens in you when you're immersed in Christ. It's not that the same guy just goes to church and is like, oh, okay, I went to church and now I go home and I'm the same guy I always was. He's like, no, you're good. He says, when you're immersed into Christ, baptized into Christ, he says, something permanently changes. You know, the process does something to us. And it's not because of what we did. It's not because of what the cucumber did. It's what the solution does to them and being immersed in Christ. It has this thought of we're in Christ and he's in us. Our whole life is all about Christ. And Paul says to them, don't you know, or have you forgotten that as many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, who were immersed in Christ Jesus, you were actually baptized or immersed into his death? Immersed into his death? Like, what does that mean? Here's what it means. 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on a cross, he took part of you with him. Like, what? I wasn't even around. He took part of us with him. What did he take with him? See, he's saying, I want you to identify with me because I actually took part of you with me to the cross. And here's what he says. Peter says it this way, 1 Peter 2, 24. It says, he personally carried our sins. And he's writing to people long after Jesus died and rose from the dead. He's writing to people who had never met Jesus before, but believed in him. And he says, guess what? He took our sins. And like, I wasn't even born yet. How did he take my sins? He knew he took the sins of the whole world. He says he took them in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. There's those words again, dead to sin, live for what is right. By his wounds, he says, you're healed. He says he took the penalty of our sin with him to the cross. 
He took our past with him and that part of us died with him on the cross. You know, every one of us has a past. Every one of us has that, that part of us back there that we're like, oh, you know. But Paul says, you know what? I want to explain to you what happened when you were immersed in Christ. When you actually decide to follow Jesus, you're like, I always wonder what Christianity is. He says, this is what it is. Whatever else you think it is, that's not it. It's not attending church. It's not memorizing the 10 commandments. It's not trying to keep the rules. It's not finding a, a suit and going somewhere on a Sunday. It's none of that stuff. It's simply being immersed in Christ and what happens as a result. He says this in Romans 6 verse 4 to 11. He says, for we died. We died, but we didn't just die. That part of me that died, it didn't just die. He says, it was buried with Christ by baptism. That sinful old self of mine wasn't, it's not just dead, it's buried. Why, Paul, why do you do that? You know why? Because he paints a picture for them. He paints this picture that that old man is dead. And my question for you this morning is, after church, how many of you would like to go and join me? We're going to go to the graveyard and we're going to dig up some corpses. Those of you who laugh and smile, ah. Uh. Just picture that for a second. I know, it's not, it's not fun to picture. But I love the reactions that come up here. Ugh. You're like, I'm going to be going there by myself. I'm not going, but just saying. Why? Because you're like, dig up corpses. Ugh. No, no way. No way. I don't, I don't want to do that. And Paul says, I want you to picture your old self in that same way. That past, that's been not just dead. That's buried with Christ. Don't go dig that thing up again. That thing wants to come out of the ground. He says, he's like, Ugh, no way. That's why he starts it by saying, should we keep on sinning? He says, ugh, no way. Even when your flesh says, oh, you know, I, I think you should try this again. You're like, ugh, no, no way. And as long as we live on this planet, that thing keeps trying to, keeps trying to come out and tell us it it's wants to be our lives again. It's, it's not our lives. Paul's saying the truth is, the truth is that, that something died back then. Verse four, he says, for we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the father, he says, he was raised from the dead by his glorious power. Now we also may live new lives by that same glorious power. Not by keeping rules, not by going to church, not that. He says, by simply by the power of Christ. He says, since we've been united with him in his death, since that's happened, part of us died with him. It says, we will also be raised to life with him. He says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin would lose its power over us. We are no longer slaves to sin. Paul's describing, this is what happened when you decided to become a Jesus follower. Part of you died. Sin is no longer your master. You're not a slave anymore. You're like, I didn't know I was a slave. I love the song that we sing here. I'm no longer a slave to fear because I am a child of God. Some of you are like, yeah, I sing those words, but I'm still scared sometimes. The truth is that you are not a slave to that fear anymore. That's the truth. He says, you know, you're a child of God. Yeah, you might, you might choose to entertain the thoughts of fear, but you don't have to anymore. You're not a slave to fear anymore. And you can just add in whatever words you want in that thing. We could sing, maybe you sing the song and you sing it differently. Maybe you sing the song, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a slave to unforgiveness anymore. I'm not a slave to anger anymore. I'm not a slave to lust anymore. I'm not a slave to bitterness anymore. I'm not a slave to sin anymore. Why? Because I'm a child of God. Not because I've got it all figured out, but, but the truth is that I, this is who I am. I'm a child of God. And it's saying, I'm identifying with what Christ did for me. Not what I'm doing, but what he did for me. And I identify and I put my whole trust in that. And that's what Paul says to them. 
He says, you know what? You can choose if you'd like. He says, you're not a slave to sin anymore, but you can choose. If you choose say, yeah, okay, I want to go down that path again. He says, you can choose that. You can choose fear. You can choose lust. You can choose addiction. You can choose all those things again. But he suggests that you don't. He says, not only is that like digging up an old corpse, nobody wants to do that. He says, you're going to feel like, ugh, afterwards. Proverbs, it says, it's like a dog returning to vomit. Isn't that the case? When you go back down to that old spot, it just feels like that. It's like, ugh, why? Why did I think that would be good? It just isn't, right? And he says the other thing too, a little later on, he says, don't you realize that whoever you obey, you become a slave to them. So yeah, you can say yes to sin, but guess what? You'll become a slave to it again. Whoever you obey, you become a slave to. And Paul says, you can obey sin, which leads to death. You'll become a slave to it. Or you can obey Christ, which leads to righteousness, life, and peace. But the word in the, the common word in it, anybody pick it up? Slave's one of them. What's the other one? How do you become a slave? Obey. Obey. See, this... uh, this comes down to that word, obey. We'll see that in a second. Verse seven, Paul continues. He says, because when we died with Christ, when Christ died and we died with him, guess what? We were set free from the power of sin. That's good news. He says, and then since, since we died with Christ, this is also true. We know that we're gonna live with him. Some of you are like, I, I wonder about eternity. But a lot of times if you wonder if you're gonna live eternally with him, it's because you aren't convinced that you died with him. But when you realize, no, how? He, he, took, he took my old self. I died with him and I know that I'm gonna live with him. How do I know? Paul says, here's how I know because Christ was raised from the dead and he's not gonna die again. Death no longer has any power over him and if I'm connected to him, it has no power over me. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin but now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God and then Paul gives this command or this imperative to each and every one of us. He says to them, so you, who? me and you and whoever reads it you also if that's what Christ has done you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus because that's what happened to you when you became a Jesus follower when you put your trust in him this is what happened to you he says I'm not giving you another rule to follow I'm not telling you here's a rule try and keep it because you can't I just want you to change your perspective I want you to change your perspective and realize this is what actually happened to you Reminded me of this song. My wife has this book. I don't read a whole lot, but I saw this one sitting there. It was all these hymns. And uh, hymns are, for those who don't know, those are songs that they, uh, older songs, hymns. Song of hymns. And it was, uh, it's called Then Sings My Soul. And it's the stories behind all the songs that were written. And there was a song that was in my head. And I'm thinking back to my childhood days. And I looked it up and it's a story of Annie, Annie Sherwood Hawks. This is Annie Hawks. She's, um, she's happier than she looks. She, um, <laughs> We'll find out in a second. But Annie Hawks, uh, at the young age of 14, they discovered that she had a real gift for, with words and she was, uh, uh, just had such a poetic ability. And so she began to write things for the local newspaper and they would post her poems in the newspaper for years. She began to write songs and she wrote 400 hymns. Just she wrote, didn't write the music, she just wrote the lyrics. Then she got married to a guy named Charles Hawks and she, spent her, she, she had three kids and spent most of her time as kind of a housewife at home. But her pastor was a musician and he encouraged her to keep writing these songs. And he says, you write the lyrics and I will put the music to it. And so she began to write songs. She describes writing one of the songs like this. She said this one day as a young wife and mother, I was 37 years of age. I was busy with my regular household tasks. It was a bright June morning in 1872. Suddenly, she says, I became so filled with the sense of nearness to the master. Just suddenly, so filled with a sense of nearness to him 
that I wondered how one could live without him, either in joy or in pain. These words were ushered into my mind, the thought at once taking full possession of me. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Bless me now, my Savior. I, I come to thee. She penned those words and she brought it to her pastor and he put music to it. And he thought, this is an amazing song because over the five verses, they would say 20 times, I need you. I need you. He shared it with a guy named Ira Sankey. Ira Sankey was a musician who played with D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a, was a guy, uh, an evangelist who traveled around the world, all over America, uh, all over Britain and different, different areas. And so Ira Sankey began playing this at their meetings and people loved this song. And so then as they printed the uh, Sunday school songs for the world, they had this book that they would send out all over the place. They put her song in it and they translated the languages and sent it all over and it ended up all over the place. And she couldn't believe that this song took off like that until a number of years later when her husband Charles died. She shared these words. I did not understand at first why this hymn had touched the great throbbing heart of humanity. It wasn't until long after when the shadow fell over me, the shadow of great loss, that I understood something of the comforting power and the words which I had been permitted to give out to others in my hour of sweet serenity and peace. I wrote those words in a time of a great time. She says, but it's what carried me in the times where it was desperate. I need thee, Lord, every hour I need thee. And I find that's a great description of what life immersed in Christ looks like. I need thee, every hour I need thee. You know, I find for us, when it's not going well, then we're like, yeah, God, I need you. But I think it's more important that we realize our need for him when things are going great. Man, I need you when it's going great. Why? Because when it's going great, I think I'm doing good. (laughs) No, I, I need you every hour, I need you. Paul says this, that's what immersed in Christ looks like. If you put your trust in him, it's this, I died with him. I've been raised with him. I'm alive in him. He's alive in me. I need him every hour, every hour I need him. That is the good news. Romans chapter six, verse four, he says this, we died and we are buried with Christ by baptism. That's where he started it off. By baptism, he says, how did this happen in our lives? How did this immersion in Christ, what does it look like? He says this, he uses this different word called baptisma, which is immersion or submersion, which is like putting something in and taking it out of water. He, he talks about this water baptism that signifies the salvation experience. That public reenactment of this is what happened inside me. Now I'm going to show you outside. Publicly, I'm going to say that my old life was dead in Christ. And as it goes under the water, I'm showing that it died and I'm leaving it there. That the water washes away sin just like Christ washed me. And as I come up out of the water, I'm not the same as I went in. I'm now wet. But I'm also changed by him, I come out as a different person to live differently with him. He says, that's, the baptism didn't do that. He says, but that's what happened inside of me. And he says, you know, it's like so often, so often throughout scripture, there's stories of people who went through water to, to, to find change on the other side. And you see pictures of it all the way. You see Noah, Noah and his family who went through the flood and on the other side found salvation. You see the children of Israel who walked through the, the Red Sea and on the other side, they watched as their enemy was destroyed behind them. You watch the same Israelites later on as they crossed the Jordan River into God's promises for their life, but they had to take the steps across the river. Those who wandered to the Jordan River years later to meet a man named John and, and, and find repentance of sin in that moment. And then Jesus saying, I want you to identify with me. 
So when you go out and preach the good news, I want you to baptize people. Why? So they realize this is what happened inside. And yes, I agree that that is what happened in my life and that is what I'm going to do. And it's that word, identify with me, baptism. It's not just, why why does he say that? Because it's not just about follow. And it's not just about trust. Sometimes I think, you know, we, we, want, we don't want to be Christians like our culture has created Christians. We want to be Jesus followers. But I think about that. And I'm like, I don't even want us to just be Jesus followers. Because I want followers to say, I'm going to put my trust in him. And then to take another step, not getting stuck just in that step. So my question for you is this. Have you taken step three? Because step three could simply be called obey. Obey. Not only have I trusted Jesus to save me, I obey him. John Samus wrote, just trust and obey for there's no better way to be happy in Jesus was another hymn. Why? Why is this obedience so important? Because it's a journey. It's a journey. You know, for some, you're like, is it a salvation thing? Do I really need to do this? Maybe I can just ask you this way. Jesus said, believe and be baptized. Put your trust in me that I become the new master and you get baptized uh, as a, to show that as, um, as what happened on the inside of you. And you're like, okay, Jesus, I followed you. I believe who you are, who you say you are. I trust you. You're my master. Baptism, no, 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 that's okay. I'm not taking that next. I'm not going to follow. I obey you as my master, except for that. Why? What hinders us from it? Philippians 1, 6, Paul simply says, it's a journey. He says, I'm confident that God started something in you. When you followed, when you put your trust in him, he started something in you. He's going to keep working in you until, uh, until that's finally finished at the day when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. Jesus commanded us, commanded baptism. That's why it's important. He's like, ah, I'm not sure, understand, you know, the, the idea of what, what the water, but he says, that's what happened on the inside and he commands it uh, f- from us. So how did the first disciples respond? As we close it up to n- today, this is the thought. The first disciples responded this way. In Acts chapter two, when Peter preached that message and they said, we believe, we put our trust in him. It says they were baptized that same day. Same day and what? They were added to the church gathering. They were added to the gathering of Jesus' followers. Same day. In Acts 8, it's even faster. Let me just read it to you. This guy named Philip is, is just doing life. He sees another guy. He says, hey, can I hitch a ride? We're going the same way. The guy's like, sure. And he's reading some scripture. And he says, let me tell you the story of Jesus. And so he says in verse, Acts 8, verse 35, so beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And he says, and as they came to some water, The eunuch said that the guy he was with, he says, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? That's the question you should be asking, not why do I have to get baptized? I put my trust in him. He's my savior. He rescued me from death. My old life is dead and gone. I'm set free from sin. When can I get baptized? I hope that you get that understanding of the immersion in what what Christ did for you. And so what do they do? They just ordered the carriage to stop and said, yep, it's been a few seconds. It's time. It's time. It's just my question for you this morning. Two groups of people here, if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower and you're like, you know, this was interesting. I never thought about the fact that, that Christ died for me. I never really thought about the fact that like I'm a sinner. I feel like I made some mistakes in my life, but I, sinner, that's a pretty tough word. But yeah, I have to admit that there are some things in me that I can't fix. And if I'm going to have to, you know, face a God of eternity someday and I have to give an account for this, I probably don't have enough good to outweigh the bad. And even if I try, I don't think I can ever undo what I did back then. I could probably use some forgiveness. He says to you this morning, the same words that Peter would say, if that's you and you want forgiveness, 
He says, all you need to do today is repent of your sins, which means change your mind about the way you were living. Turn to God, not turn to do better. Just turn to him, come to him. He says, and then it says, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's on the table for you this morning. That's not a prayer. That's just a decision you make responding to what the voice on the inside is calling to you. I don't know who you are this morning, but you do. How are you going to respond to that? And for the Jesus followers here today, those of you who are like, you know what? I haven't been baptized as an adult. Man, I want you to wrestle with that. I do. Not because I think you should, because his word says so. And some of you, maybe you're hearing like, oh, I hate it. I shouldn't have come today. I'm offended. I'm fully aware that that's possible. And it'll do one of two things. Either we're going to have a whole lot of people who decide to follow Jesus and get baptized, or we're going to have a whole lot of empty seats which make room for people who will. I know, I know that's harsh, and I'm not usually harsh. I usually try and be really nice. But we didn't start this place to fill seats out in the country in a building. We are called to make disciples, and this is one of those steps. It is not an option. It is not an option, and I would be amiss if I told you it was. So as uncomfortable as that was for me, I'm like unsure, sweating away up here. (sighs) My discomfort for your good, I pray. And I hope you hear that through my voice and through his word this morning. If you want to get baptized, September 28th, sign up. And if it's got to be before then, let me know. If you've got a pool, a bathtub, a ditch, we will. (laughs) Whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Think about it. If you've got more questions, call me, text me. I'd love to chat with you because I want to see Christ formed in you. I want to see you take the steps as his followers. Can we pray? Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you went through all the discomfort and all the awkwardness and all the other things that the cross was, the pain for me, for us. We could not do it without you. Thanks for calling our names and giving us a chance to run out of that grave, to leave that old life behind, to walk with you. Father, thank you that when we still don't get it perfect in this walk that you pick us up. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the beautiful picture that baptism is of what you're, you've done in us and you're doing in us. Pray for those this morning who are wrestling with this decision, with this choice, with this step. God, would you just lead them to truth, I pray. Let them hear your voice, Holy Spirit. Pray you give them the courage needed to take that step. I just believe you for great things as they begin this journey of obedience with you. For those of us who've been there, Lord, we just remember the great sacrifice and the great story that it is in our lives of what you've done and what you're continuing to do. And we just determine to keep walking with you today, tomorrow. Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Lord, we need thee. Oh, we need you. Every hour, we need you. Come, our blessed Savior. We're coming to you, walking with you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.